Good morning, good morning, welcome. How are we this morning? Are we doing well in Ellen? Yes, three people are doing well, good, that's a good sign of things to come. Uh, my name's Scott, I'm one of the pastors for City Church, I look after the St. Macra site with my wife Sarah, uh, and to a lesser extent my daughter Evelyn, she doesn't play a massive pastoral role in the thing, but she does definitely add to the cuteness factor of the whole thing. Um, but it's just great, it's great to be with you guys in Ellen this morning, I always love coming up here for a wee visit. You guys are all so passionate, I love it when you like, say things, you're like, people are like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. So much of that, you can do as much of that as you like over the next half an hour or so, that would be great. Yes, come on. Church is supposed to be fun, not boring, isn't it? Um, and this morning we're carrying on in our series uh, in Mark. Uh, we've been doing it in the last little while. Um, the King and His Cross. And we're looking at Jesus' life. We're looking at what He does, how He does it, why does He do the things that He does. So that we as followers of Jesus, that's not a title that we just give ourselves just for fun. We are literally supposed to follow in Jesus' footsteps. When we see Him doing something in the Bible, that means we are supposed to step out and do the same thing as well. When He goes to people who are broken and hurting and lost and needing healed, we as His followers are supposed to be doing the exact same thing. And so we want to learn from Jesus' life today uh, what it looks like to be the most excellent followers. And I've called this talk Partnering with the King because there's an amazing lesson in today's uh, passage about what it looks like to partner with Jesus and seeing miraculous things happen. I don't know if you've been aware of this, in the life of our church over the last couple of months, some incredible things have been happening. Um, over, I think in the last month alone, uh, 35 to 40 people have given their lives to Jesus across the life of our church. It's amazing. Uh, people are being healed. There's a lady at our site who's suffered with ME for 25 years. It's completely healed, completely gone. Uh, she's not tired. She's waking up in the morning with clear thoughts. Um, just the most incredible things are happening across the life of our church just now. So be encouraged. God is on the move. He's at work. And we want to know what it looks like to partner with God this morning. Jesus is doing miraculous things. And so in today's story, it's probably, if you were to stop people in the street and say, can you name a miracle that Jesus did? This would be in the top two or three answers, I would imagine. It's the feeding of the 5,000. It's when Jesus takes uh, a couple of loaves and a few fish and feeds a crowd of 5,000 men, which means probably closer to 20,000 people, they imagine, would have been there in that moment. So we're going to read together Mark chapter 6. Verse 30 to 43. To give you some backdrop to this moment, just as Jesus is coming into this moment, he's just found out that his cousin John has been killed um, by Herod. Uh, he's feeling uh, in grief. It's, it's been a, a really tough time for him. He's been preaching and teaching all across the land. He's tired. He's worn out. He's suffering. Uh, and this is his kind of state as he comes into this moment. Uh, one of grief and sorrow and one of tiredness as he walks into this moment. Uh, so Jesus feeds the 5,000. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. It says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, and I want us to just stop for a moment on this uh, sentence that's about to come, he had compassion on them. When he landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take 
more than half a year's wages? Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. I think one of the first things that jumps out for me in this passage is that Jesus is pursuing partnership. Jesus pursues partnership. We see in this story, he's just sent the disciples out to go and do some stuff on their own for the first time. And they've come back all excited and they're telling Jesus about what's happened and, and who was healed and all that stuff. And then they come into this moment and they, they, they have this moment where there's 5,000 men and their families all with them. Probably 20,000 people who've been listening to Jesus teaching, preaching, probably healing people during the day as well. And they come to this moment where it's time to feed them. And Jesus doesn't, uh, Jesus doesn't magic 5,000 plates out of the air. He doesn't uh, send them off to the shops to buy food. He says to the disciples, let's partner together. Let's come up with a solution for this problem. Let's us as a team, me and you, work out what we're going to do here. It's like a crucial learning moment for the disciples because Jesus knows that he's not going to be there forever. He knows that he's not always going to be there, right there standing beside them to say, okay, I've got this one, guys. You just step back and watch, watch what I can do. He uses this as a crucial moment for the disciples to learn what it looks like to move in the miraculous, to partner with Jesus in those moments. Um, I absolutely love our Mainly Music ministry. How many of you have ever been to or have been around Mainly Music at Ellen? Yeah, good few of you, good job. I love it. So Wednesday is my day off and I go every Wednesday with my little girl Evelyn. We go to Mainly Music together and it is incredible. Uh, I check my dignity out at the door. You have to be willing to leave it behind when you go in there. And I spend my Wednesday mornings pretending to be a buzzy bee flying around a honeypot and uh, I get my dancing feet on. Sometimes I even have sparkle hands for my sparkle day as well. It's amazing. I love it. Uh, and at the end of each day, we, we bring all these toys out for the kids to play with uh, while all the grown-ups sit and have a bit of cake and some coffee. And at the end, we put on this song. It's called the Tidy Up Song. And in that moment, the kids start swarming around and tidying up stuff. You see, right from the word go, we always said to the kids, when this song comes on, it's time to tidy up. We'll do it together. We'll go and get the bags. We'll go and pick up stuff and you can tidy it away. And the reason we did that was because we don't want a bunch of children growing up in our world who don't have responsibility for them. We want them to learn what it looks like to take ownership of things and to, when they play with something, to know that it has to go away afterwards. And so right from the word go, we've been teaching that. And now all we have to do is put on the song. And it's like, you know, in the moment in Zoolander where the music comes on and he's like brainwashed and he goes off to start killing people it's kind of similar to that except a much better outcome <laughs> and the kids all run around and they fight over who gets to tidy up the blocks but they've learned what it looks like to partner with the team they've learned what it looks like to partner and to do what needs to be done to see things happen I think Jesus is doing something similar in this moment with his disciples he's teaching them what it looks like to partner with the king he's teaching them what it looks like to partner with the king and pursuing the miraculous he could have done it himself. He would have got the job done. It probably would have been much more quick and much more effective. There would have been a lot less grumbling and groaning as well. But he doesn't. 
he doesn't choose the easy way, he chooses partnership. It's an unbelievable model from looking, looking from the outside. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem very logical. But that's what Jesus chose to do. He chooses to join hands with the very people that God created to see the kingdom transform lives. It's amazing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says this, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Paul suggested that there's a partnership between us and God, a co-worker relationship that we're both striving together for the same thing to happen, the radical transformation of this world, the pointing back of every pair of eyes towards Jesus. Again, in 1 Philippians chapter 1, he says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, Jesus invites us into the family business. Jesus invites us into the family business with him. His business is healing and restoration and hope and peace and joy and love brought into the lives of every single person in this world. And we are invited to take part in that business with him. Now, Christianity does not look like uh, a desk job. It doesn't look like sitting comfortably behind a desk for 40 years, not taking any risks, just collecting your paycheck, uh, going week to week in comfort and security. It looks a bit more like um, starting up your own business. You have to take risks. You have to be entrepreneurial. Sometimes you've got to clean the toilets yourself. Sometimes you've got to go out on a limb and put in sacrificing some of your own stuff, your own resources, your own money to see the most incredible things happen. I think partnership with Jesus looks like regular risk-taking. And the reason for that is that Jesus gave all he had for us. His very body, his very breath poured out, given away freely on the cross so that we could have a relationship with God Almighty a way into eternal life, even when we make mistakes, even when we make bad choices, even when we actively turn our eyes away from him. Jesus died so that we could always have a way back. And because of that, we now get to be partners with him in bringing that good news to the world. It's incredible. God chooses partnership as his model for seeing humanity saved. And so I guess a good question for us to ask ourselves today would be, where do I need to take a risk to partner with God? Where do I need to step out of my comfort zone to step into partnership with Jesus? Where is he placing blessed bread in my hands so that when I step out, I'll see amazing things happen? It's a faith-fueled journey where we get to see the kingdom of God in action. So the first thing is that Jesus is pursuing partnership. The second thing is this. Jesus' motivation for this moment was that he was moved by compassion. The passage in the lead up to this tells us that he's tired, he's hungry, he's really grieving the death of his cousin. He's probably feeling afraid for his own life at this moment. And yet when he goes to seek a quiet place and is confronted with a massive crowd, he doesn't tell them to be on their way. He doesn't tell them that he's not got energy. He doesn't tell them that work's a bit busy right now and I can't deal with you. He is fueled by compassion because they look like sheep without a shepherd. They look lost. They're hungry for something from him. 
And then that day, thousands and thousands of people got to eat and taste and smell and hold the miraculous nature of God in their very hands. Five loaves and two fishes fed 20,000 people. Each person got to physically touch and taste what the miraculous provision of Jesus looked like. Imagine what that would have been like. Imagine it in today's atmosphere. Imagine Jesus was here right now and he'd been out teaching uh, and preaching up at the Cairngorms and miles away from any other village or town. But you've been there all day with him and you've been loving his teaching. You've been taking it on board. But it gets to about five o'clock and you're realizing, I'm a bit peckish here. And then Jesus and his nature, you know, you're about to go and try and find a shop somewhere. And he says, don't worry, guys, I've got this. Sit down. And then suddenly he finds a kid with a Dairy Lee Lunchable and he's like, watch this. And suddenly 20,000 people are fed from this one little Dairy Lee Lunchable. Can you imagine what that would have been like for every single person who was there? He looked at this sea of faces and he was so moved by compassion. His heart couldn't rest because he felt broken for the people. And he chose in that moment to feed them spiritually and physically. I like uh, looking at the disciples' reaction from Jesus because it's stark and stands in stark contrast to them. Jesus is moved by compassion, and the disciples are all about the logic and clinical uh, nature of this moment. They see the people there, and it says, By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. They still haven't quite grasped the power and the purpose of Jesus. They still haven't quite grasped the vision for what he's doing. They still haven't grasped that he is about to give his life for this world and that this is a drop in the ocean compared to what is about to come. Um, When I was 21, I had an encounter with Jesus that entirely changed my life. It changed the direction of my life. It changed Uh, my thoughts, my feelings, it changed basically everything about my life. We were away on a men's weekend with our church down in Glasgow um, and we were standing uh, worshipping on the Sunday morning and we were singing the Hillsong song, Hosanna, I don't know if you know it, um, but there's a line in that song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. I just said to God in that moment, I was was still quite a a new Christian at that point. I, I, I was enjoying Christianity. I was liking hanging out with people at church, but I'd I still hadn't really got it. I didn't really get what it was about. I just liked the community was the main reason I was around. And uh, I said to God, I, I don't know what that looks like. I don't understand what it looks like for, for my heart to be broken for what breaks yours. Would you just show me what that looks like? And as I prayed that prayer, instantly in my head started running through thousands and thousands of people. And I knew that they were real people. I knew that they were people who existed on this planet. And just with each person, I could see their life circumstances. Some people were homeless. Some people were struggling with drug addiction or alcohol addiction. Some people were really struggling with poverty. And and after every person, I saw the way the world would look at them as someone to be cast aside. And then I saw Jesus just saying, I love this person. I died for them and I would die for them a thousand times. And something just broke in my heart then. I couldn't stop crying. I'm not a crier. I rarely ever cry. Love Actually is the only movie I think I've ever cried at. But in that moment, I couldn't stop crying. And so I went to the front um, and I, I just said, look, I, just, I prayed this. I've, I've just, I don't know what's going on. God's doing something for me. And he said, oh, God's breaking your heart for what breaks his. 
And he said, and what that looks like is a heart that's got a little nick in it that's constantly bleeding for his people. Uh, and, and I was like, oh, that's amazing. That's exactly what's going on. So I took it and I went back and I wrote it in my journal. And as I started writing down in my journal, something, you know when something just rings a bell for you? And I went back six months previously and I'd had a dream where God had showed me this picture of a heart beating and it had a little cut in it and it was just dropping little drops of blood. And I drew a picture of it in my journal and put a big question mark underneath. And I was like, I don't know what this means. And God was just showing me in that moment. And that totally changed my life. Having compassion, like he opened up compassion for him in that moment. I would say that compassion wasn't a skill that I learned. It wasn't something I was born with. I think God gave me compassion in that moment. And that, from there, that helped me go and do a bunch of stuff. I started volunteering at Glasgow City Mission. And we used to pray for the guys who came in off the streets. And we saw amazing things happen, guys who had lost their families, were reunited with their families. Um, I remember praying for one guy who'd had his arm dislocated in a fight just outside. And as we prayed, it clicked back in. And he was like, oh, and he was like swearing and everything. He was like, what's going on? It was just amazing things happening. But I would never have got to see that if I hadn't been pursuing what God was asking me to pursue. And I think God's calling for all of us to have compassion today. But what I mean by that is not we've all to have compassion for people who are homeless uh, or people who are struggling with drug addiction. That was my thing. That's what he put in my heart. But I believe that he gives us compassion, each of us, for the places where he's got us. If you don't know compassion for your neighbors today, then it's okay to ask God, give me compassion for the person who stays next door to me. Break my heart for them in the way that you love them, Jesus. If you don't have compassion for your colleagues, if you don't feel warm and lovely towards them and they actually feel like an inconvenience, we can pray to God today, God, would you give me compassion for my colleagues? Would you love, show me how to love them in the same way that you love them? C.S. Lewis said this, miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very, small, the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. This wasn't about the miracle. The feeding of the 5,000 was not about the miracle being the pinnacle of the whole thing. It was about Jesus being so moved by compassion that he couldn't not do something to feed his people. So I wonder who is God calling us to paint a picture of salvation for with our compassion today? So he was moved by compassion. And then the final thing that jumps out in this passage um, was that the disciples brought what they had. I love the, the verse Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat when they're, they're, they're grumbling, they're grousing. He says, you give them something to eat, and they say, uh, that, would, that would take a half a year's wages, Jesus. Do you really expect us to go and do that? And he says, well, what do you have? And it's that question, what do you have? He asked them, what have you got in your hands right now? What have you got that you can give? Give it to me, and I'll do something amazing with it. I imagine for the disciples, that moment didn't quite go according to plan. You know, you could see it getting towards the end of the day, and Jesus is still speaking, and he's been speaking for about 10 hours now. And they're like, is someone, someone's going to have to tell him that it's coming up for dinner time. And Jesus is still going strong, so they're having a little confab, and they're like, Peter, you go and do it. And so Peter goes over, and he's like, <clears throat> kind of taps Jesus on the shoulder. He's like, Gee, I don't know if you're aware of this, Jesus. It's actually close to 5 o'clock now. You've been speaking for a while. We should probably, you know, like, um, we should probably send them off to get something to eat. And Jesus turns to him and says, you give him something to eat. And he's like, hmm. Goes back to the disciples and he's like, that didn't quite go down the way that we thought it would go down. Jesus has said that we have to give them something to eat. And so they have another conflab and they're like, 
well, that would take half a year's wages. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Well, go and tell him it will take half a year's wages, and that will. Then he'll realise that that's a silly plan. So Peter comes back over again. He's like, Jesus, I don't know if you're aware of that. That would be about half a year's wages, and you know, we don't work. We just follow you around all the time, so we're not actually being paid wages just now. Jesus is like, so, well, what have you got? And he's like, uh, right, give me a second. <laughs> and he's back over again. He's like, uh, guys what have we got? He's asking us, what have we got? And they see this little kid walking by with five loaves and two, a wee packed lunchbox, basically, and they're like, this will be it. He's like, kid, come here. Give me your packed lunchbox. Like, <clears throat> Jesus, we've got five loaves and two, two fish here. And he's like, brilliant. Sit the people down. We'll eat. And he's like, oh, no. This is not, not going to corn pan. So he goes back to disciples again. He's like, we have to sit, sit them down. Jesus has said we have to feed them this. And so you can imagine, and what you notice in this story, Jesus doesn't multiply the food in his hands. So the story doesn't say Jesus takes the five loaves and two fishes, prays a prayer over it, it suddenly becomes a 5,000 persons worth of food, and then everyone starts coming and taking from it. It says, as they went, as they went, the food multiplied. So what happened in that moment? There were 5,000 men and their families sat down in groups of 50 and 100, spanning as far as the eye could see and the disciples have got a little bit of a loaf and a half a fish in their hands each. And they have to go to the first group. And you can imagine what it would have been like. They got to the first group and they've said, right, take a very small piece. Just take a really tiny bit. He goes to the next person, take a tiny bit. And they get round the first group of 50 and he's still got bread in his hand. He's still got fish. So he gets to the second group of 50 and he's like, take a slightly bigger chunk. You can have a bigger bit now. And then by the time they get to the 400th person and there's still food in their hands, like, here, you, you just take this bit and you take a loaf here. You can have a fish. You go for it. And it's multiplying in their hands as they went. Jesus didn't send them off to buy 5,000 uh, meals. He didn't send them off to Nick Nairn's cook school to learn how to cater for 5,000 people. He didn't ask them to go and make half a year's wages so that they could come back and pay for all the food. He simply asked this question, what have you got in your hands? What have you got right now? Bring it to me and watch what I'll do with it. Some of you may have been around our church when we were one church in one place and not instead of one church in many places. But the story of our church, I think, reflects something of, of this bring what you have question that Jesus asked the disciples and um, when we started out as a church we were one church we met in one church building um, and we started to outgrow that church building and so we started to look at different church buildings and we tried to buy a few churches a few buildings around town we tried to buy a casino and we bid the most money uh, and we got rejected for that when we tried to buy an old church of Scotland we tried to buy an, uh, a disused warehouse we tried to buy a bunch of places and it didn't happen and so we started to realize something something isn't right with this plan uh, and so in the meantime of that, we, we started using uh, a church around the corner from our, our uh, central site, Gilt Park. There was a church around the corner who had outgrown their building, and they were meeting in a school now. So we started to meet in their church building uh, on a Sunday as like an overflow service. <clears throat> and in that moment, 
Chuck always talks about how he, he laughs because the first week we did that service, he went and someone was on the welcome team and they were like, hello, are you new here? Does he come in? He's like, no, I'm actually the pastor here. And then there's people on the band who were never, he didn't even know played instruments and all of that stuff. And just something started to click in that moment that this was the way to reach a region. This was the way to reach this whole part of the country. Um, and so we, the, the whole church came together and they said, you know how we were going to buy a building? We're not going to do that anymore but we're going to start planting sites of our church around Aberdeen in the Shire. Uh, and we're going to plant five sites initially. Uh, and they thought that that would be really cheap, but it actually worked out it would cost £432,000 to do five sites really well. So we said, we said to church, you know, that's what it's going to cost. We're going to go away. Can you all raid your piggy banks? And we'll come together and we're just going to go for it and we'll see how far we get with this thing. And so people came back in October 2012 uh, and everyone came back and we had this one big day there was a big wicker basket at the front of the church and everyone put in their pledges and their money for the next uh, few years while spreading life together was happening and the total that was given that day was 400 I think it was 431,000 or something it was within 99% of the number we needed and that wasn't uh, everyone went around and said you know you give 50 quid and if you give 100 quid and actually you guys are quite well off so you give 2 grand and you guys do that that was just everyone brought what they had on the day. Everyone went away before Jesus said, what have we to bring to this? Put it in and gave it. It was almost the exact right amount. And that was just like a big green light to go. And now amazing things are happening all over, Dean, over Aberdeen and the Shire. Children are coming to faith in Mad and Ellen. Uh, there's Alpha courses happening. There's mainly music's happening. There's holiday clubs happening. We worked out this week that 200 cans of uh, custard will be poured over people in our church <laughs> <laughs> over, over the two holiday clubs that happen across uh, October and Easter this year. But just incredible things are happening. That all happened because the people of God brought what they had in their hands gave it to Jesus, and he is in the process of doing something miraculous with it. Isn't that amazing? That the little that we have to bring can be turned into something incredible when it's in Jesus' hands. Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're referred to as the body of Christ. And it says this, you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part to play. Each one of us has a part to play. Jesus is asking us, what have you got in your hands right now that when you place it in my hands will become an incredible thing? And we're all guilty of thinking that what we have to bring isn't good enough. We think, oh, I only play a little bit of guitar. Uh, it's probably not good enough. I'm just going to leave that there. Or we think, oh, I could, I could do kids' work, but kids probably won't find me that fun. There's probably other people who are miles better at that than I am, so I'll just leave it to them. Or we think, you know, I could do a welcome team on a Sunday morning, but oh, I'm probably not the friendliest person in the world. There's probably people who are friendlier than me, so we'll just put it aside. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do. He's saying, what have you got in your hands right now? doesn't matter how big or how small or how brilliant or how not brilliant you think it is. If you have something in your hands, Jesus wants it. And when you place it in his hands, that gives the opportunity for the miraculous to happen. When we partner with the king, amazing things can happen. And so I want to ask the question today, what have you got in your hands? <laughs> it's good. And just bring it and watch what Jesus does with it. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together?